Blog Talk Radio. Tonight, our favorite show is Fuller House, and we are discussing Season 3, Part 2. This is TV Party Tonight, and I am your host, the mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Rattledge. And we are kicking off 2018, ladies and gentlemen, with a really fun show, a uh, late debut in the 2018 Netflix calendar Fuller House, as I said before, and of course, joining me to discuss it, to pick up where the conversation left off in September, ladies and gentlemen, the punchy pugilist, totally 80s, Mr. Pat Mullen. How do you do, sir? I do well. Somehow I'm not frozen yet, folks. I bid you all a fine, fond hello from the very frigid, very snow-covered northeastern United States, and to prove that totally 80s, Pat is not a gimmick. On the way home, I happened to have CBS 101 FM on and was singing loudly along to Like a Virgin when a car full of young, attractive girls pulled up next to me, and I felt about two inches big. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Um, my daughter went caroling uh, over the holidays with her Girl Scout troop, and at one point, the and I don't know if they're from New York or not, somehow they knew about it, the Girl Scout troop leader played Dominic the Italian Christmas Donkey, which if you're from the tri-state area <laughs> and you were aware of WCBS-FM, uh, the Golden Oldies station, you have heard at Christmas time Dominic the Italian Christmas Donkey. Either that or you've turned into one of my podcasts and I've you know, talked incessantly about it. But none of the other girls in Lily's Girl Scout troop knew what the hell it was. Lily, however, was singing along, hee-haw, 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 hee-haw. <laughs> uh, well, you know, there is a large influx of New Yorkers and New Jerseyans to Florida for retirement or just because of weather like I'm experiencing right now, folks, just to put it in perspective. Uh, the area I live in in uh, New Jersey got hit with 18 inches of snow, which was mild compared to some of the others, and people don't like that. I totally sympathize, Pat. You're you're hitting me where I live because I'll tell you, we had similar conditions here in Florida. It was it dropped down to 30 degrees today. Can you believe it? It's it's just like having 18 inches of snow out there, except that it isn't. Don't make me hit you. <laughs> when last we left our heroes, <laughs> they were on a plane headed to Tokyo 
for oh gosh, what's the boyfriend's name? Help me out. Matt. Matt's wedding to CJ. No, Steve's wedding. Steve is Steve is the boy is not the boyfriend. Steve is the former boyfriend. Matt is the boyfriend. This hang on because that's about to change. Uh, but yes, they were they were headed out to Steve and CJ's wedding in Tokyo, and uh, DJ had inadvertently admitted to Steve that he was her soulmate and that she was going to pick him had he not shown up on her doorstep with CJ. And that was how I believe we kicked off, what was it, season two? Yes. Okay. So fast forward, uh, CJ and, and Steve are getting married. They're on the plane to Tokyo. And now everything is turned on its head. And that is where we pick up. Let me, let me just go ahead and say right off the bat, I don't know what you thought of this second half of the season, this season three, which dropped in December. But I, uh, I would describe Fuller House season three, part two, as kind of a shit sandwich where the, the meat was a fine piece of ham slapped be- between two pieces of shit. The, this episode <laughs> and like the last two episodes drove me out of my mind, and I really I was not a fan. But everything in the middle I, 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 I actually enjoyed. And there are some definite trends that happened. I'll just right off the bat, I'll uh, I'll share one my wife pointed out to me, which I actually thought was funny. She, you know, and and I understood the rationale for it, but it's definitely something I want to talk about. Um, once we we kind of get out of Tokyo and we start getting into the season second half of the season proper, they basically ran out of shit for Ferdinand to do, Fernando to do, so they paired him up with the baby, and you have the best odd couple I've ever seen. Of the the youngest Fuller child and Fernando just hanging out and doing stuff <laughs> because they had too many other plots in the air and they had nothing for him to do. But let, let me kick it over to you. Um, just your general thoughts on the season and you know agree or disagree about the Tokyo episode and then the last two episodes, which bring back the Tanner clan proper. Um. I was not overly fond of the first episode of this half of the season either. Um, the last episode I thought was probably better than you did. I, I enjoyed a lot of the nostalgia aspect of it, um, even though it was very uh, the the writing was very hackneyed and it was very predictable on certain ends. I was fine with it. The episode prior to it, I didn't care for all that much. Um, but but I, I honestly, the middle part of this half of the season is probably my favorite thus far of anything on the show. Yeah, I thought that, that that's the thing. It's such a weird uh, set of episodes because, um, like I said, the middle is really strong. And I, I agree with you. I would say it's probably the it's probably the best of the series so far. But the beginning and the end of it is just so bad. So I guess let, let's get into it. Um, the Tokyo episode, my best friend's Japanese wedding, is a ton of slapstick. And I'm not overly fond of, of the slapsticky parts of this show. I don't think they pull it off all that well. I, it becomes unwatchable for me. And I did a lot of fast-forwarding through this. 
It actually took me two attempts because the first time I stupidly watched it with my family around and nobody knows how to stop talking. So I missed a lot of it. <laughs> the second the second time around, I got I, I was like, I this this hurts me and I can't watch this. And I had to keep skipping past certain parts. Uh, the biggest kind of cringeworthy stuff really has to do with DJ and Steve. Um and to a lesser extent, CJ, some of the stuff that happens, realistically, CJ should have strangled DJ. <laughs> yeah. Granted, it wasn't really, it wasn't all her fault, but how does she not come away, for, uh, you know, from some of what happened in that episode thinking, you know, you know, you have the one bridesmaid who doesn't show up. Um, you have the uh, Kimmy who is sometimes portrayed as a good party planner and then does stuff like, you know, can't, you know, can't bring in local kabuki dancers, has to hire them from somewhere else, and then they don't show up. And so she does a terrible kabuki dance. Um, and then you have the bit with the toilet and the dress, which eh, it's, it would be hard to necessarily blame that entirely on DJ. But then the thing with the ring happens, and it's like, come on, how do you, how do you throw the ring into the in, – accidentally, quote-unquote, throw the ring into the goddamn river? And then, of course, Steve goes after her. I just, I, all of that stuff, you know, DJ's not an unsympathetic character. I really feel bad for her, and I don't think the character deserved any of what happened in this episode. And to me, it wasn't funny. She, you know, it's, it's really clear in some sense that she's basically a rebound because he's found someone with so many similar qualities to DJ when they start dating. And that's the whole thing. It's like, okay, well, clearly he's not over this. And this is just, you know, him trying to satiate that. But, and here's the thing. We talk about all the little incidents that are kind of DJ's fault, but not really. And we can go back to the the prior half of the season where she's seen in CJ's wedding dress in the store um, and all these things, even before the ring, CJ still should have killed the bitch because there's just too (laughs) many coincidences that happen where at some point blame needs to be levied at her and just stop it. Just stop getting involved. No, you're gone. No away. Bye. No, see you later. And instead she not only uh, ruins the majority of what the wedding was planned to be, but as we see in this episode, he, Steve ultimately decides he cannot marry her because he's still in love with DJ who is ever present in his life. Shockingly. One of the things I really didn't like about this was it's an unsatisfying conclusion, I guess, to what is a running theme throughout the show, which is DJ can't get her love life together, which to me is not compelling. Like the first season, okay, you know, sort of as an introduction to these people's lives and have something that have a thread that ties everything together. Like I'm much more into the idea of Stephanie trying to have a kid. And the the trials and tribulations of that, and you know, and and, and her growing close. And we'll talk about this over the course of the next couple of episodes. But Stephanie and Kimmy developing their own independent relationship is a much more compelling storyline than DJ can't. If it's for now three seasons, can't seem to pick between Steve and Matt. It, it gets annoying after a while to the point where I start I start losing sympathy for her. And I and I, I I don't necessarily want her to be happy, um, which brings us to Matt, who didn't deserve any of what happened in that episode. 
You know, here's a guy who, despite himself, is head over heels for this, you know, indecisive nutbag. And she's ready to marry him. She's ready to walk across that aisle until she finds out that, you know, the, you know that Steve's still in love with her. And then suddenly she's questioning everything and willing to torch the relationship. And it's like, you don't deserve him. Frankly, you don't deserve Steve either. You're an asshole. And I could have lived with how they handled that if they had made Matt's reaction to her a bit stronger. But in the following episodes, it gets, really, it gets really silly. And at the end of the day, it, he's not reacting big, big enough. He's not reacting angry enough to her, which is what I thought those decisions warranted. But just sticking with I don't that know. first episode. Well, I was going to say, I don't, I don't know if you've ever been, like, dumped for no good reason and the girl still wants to, like, be a part of your life and be friends with you after. Um, that's all it's of my re- relationships. It's <laughs> really unpleasant. And you have some really horrible thoughts. And if you're like me to a certain extent and you're – Anger gets redirected to other things rather than that person because you're just too much of a pussy to admit it. You're really upset with how this is portrayed with Matt because you want him to lash out, if not at her, at something else, or at least say, no, you destroyed me. I'm good now. I don't want to see you again. And the reaction we get is nothing close to that. Right. Like, again, I don't want to skip too far ahead, but some of the decisions Matt makes are, I think, the writers feel almost – it almost feels like they wrote themselves into a corner with Matt because they put a situation in front of him where it was ripe for writing him off the show, but they were like, well, beefcake, <laughs> you know, fan favorite. You can't well, really that, get rid of and they don't. They don't want to make DJ as much of a bad guy as they already did. So how do we handle that? We have to make him seem not angry and upset. He has to be goofy and jovial and whatever, and not, you know, completely distraught that he was basically used for the better part of a year. Let's point to something that directly happens in this episode so we don't get too far ahead of ourselves. His reaction to her at the wedding was completely unbelievable. I mean, I like the fact that he at least said, don't follow me. But how he didn't say, DJ, you, you're a horrible human being. And, I, and you don't deserve me. And then walk off. That's what I was waiting for. He just instead just kind of babbles for a little bit. And then says, don't follow me, and, and kind of walks off. And it's like, it's like you said, they really made him a soft character that doesn't fit the situation. No, it's almost like they made him, and it's weird to compare, but they almost made him like Ducky from Pretty in Pink. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, it, and again, it's not really compelling television, because I've grown, you know, you've grown to like the character, and you don't want. And here's the thing: if you're gonna if you're gonna kill your babies, then kill them good. Don't half kill them. 
And that's what I feel like ha- they did here is they half killed one of our babies. And it's like, well, that's not entertaining to me. Either kill them all the way or don't kill them at all. Um, again, just going back to the, and then we'll, we'll move on to the, the other two subplots. Um, I thought it was just kind of lazy and stupid writing. And I don't know if it necessarily fit the character of Kimmy to have her screw the wedding up as badly as she did. Um, I wasn't a fan of any of that. Cause again, you can't have it both ways. You can't be a total fuck up and can't get this wedding right. And then still be a ace party planner, which is also how they write her. So it, it didn't make sense to me. I agree that you, there's a lot of, unfortunately, if there is one great weakness to this show, certain aspects they are so uneven on versus having a very clear direction for other things. And a lot of times in those episodes, the uneven part is the A plot. And that's a narrative issue that you have to correct immediately or else you're going to lose a lot of people in the lead in. I would tell you they probably have lost. Um, I mean, I think the show's still fairly successful and it's gotten better reviews as it's gone on. But I would say they've probably lost certain viewers just because you know, a lot of time you're right. A lot of times their a plot is so stupid, um, and people don't kind of hang around for the lesser plots. And speaking of lesser plots, we have two in this episode. Uh, we have uh, I'm just forgetting characters' names now. We have the eldest son and Kimmy's daughter, uh, who kind of go yep. off on their Jackson own. Jackson and Ramona. Thank you, Jackson and Ramona. I'm so tired. <laughs> I'm going to be leaning on you for, for proper nouns tonight. Uh, Jackson and Ramona kind of go off on their own. And, I, and, and again, I wasn't particularly interested in what was happening with them. This, this felt like the, that kind of jumping the shark episode of a show where they don't know what to do with the characters anymore. So they just send them fun places and the show becomes more of a travel guide. And that was, the, that, that was the entirety of their plot. And what they do with, with the Ramona character in this, there's much more compelling stuff that they do with her, but the little bit that, where they tie her to the one guy in Sexy Zone, I'm like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And I'm not entirely <laughs> sure why the writers did it. I didn't know that Sexy Zone was a real thing. Neither did I. And if you don't know what we're talking about... Uh, basically, she gets her life saved by a very cute young Japanese boy who she finds out is in a very popular Japanese boy band called Sexy Zone. And that's a real thing. That's a real band. He is a real member of said band that are apparently very popular in Japan. They're kind of like a Japanese Minuto or One Direction, whatever age you are, whatever parlance you are, whatever makes more sense to you. That's what they are. And I guess they, I don't know whether it was just to give the to show some sense of weird authenticity or to just because the writers thought it was funny that this is a real thing. Hey, let's put this in. This is hilarious. And the band is actually called Sexy Zone. It's not like a parody of Japan. It's real. Um, yeah, again, I wasn't, uh, I didn't particularly care. Um, the other plot in this is Fernando, uh, second kid's name. Max. Max. Fernando, Max, and his girlfriend. 
who I forgot was even involved in this, and, and, and more so forgot that she was TJ's daughter. Um, yeah, she's calling the beard. Yeah. <laughs> she, uh, she shows up, and the, the big tension there is they want to go to Samurai World. She wants to go to Hello Kitty World. And again, but here's the thing. Both B-plots felt like travelogues. However, there's a, it's, it's, a, uh, it's an example of how to do one right and how to do one stupid. And the Hello Kitty one was actually done right because they actually had fun with it and made some jokes and you know, really, really got the characters wrapped up in the atmosphere as opposed to Jackson and Ramona who just feel like you know, like a Food Network TV host walking through, you know, walking as the camera follows them through the city, talking about the city. Um, Well, and the funny thing is the Max Max storyline is relatable, because I don't know anybody who's dated somebody, especially if it's like your first relationship, and there comes a choice where, hey, I want to go do this, and it's, but I really wanted to go do this, and then she puts her foot down, or, you know, no, we're doing this, and you can either say, okay, we're doing that, or you can be single again. Uh, that's the lesson I learned in April of 2001 when Prince Nassim Hamed fought Marco Antonio Barrera on pay-per-view. And I chose that instead of date night, and thus date night didn't happen for a long time after. I hear you, brother. Um, so, yeah, that, that you're right. That was at least relatable, but I also thought it was fun. You know, they, they, they got it the was. Max kid, you know, decked out and all the Hello Kitty stuff, and then so was Fernando. And of course, I you know, they, they <laughs> Fernando, or right, everyone take a drink. I'm going to make a wrestling reference. Fernando is, <laughs> is like the, the comedy wrestler. You know, he's the one you Santino can dress Morella. up. Yeah, he, he's very much Santino Morella. He's the one you can dress up and do funny gags with. And, you know, and, and it's just, he's a very, he's, his comedy is very visual, um, you know, because he's a, a stunning looking guy. And so it's funny to see him all decked out in pink and you know, with the Hello Kitty whiskers and all that other stuff. You know, I was amused. It was probably the only part of the episode that I didn't fast forward through. Uh, and, and I actually found semi-enjoyable. Um, last, I'm going to give you the last word on my best, my best friend's Japanese wedding. Uh, let me just say, I couldn't wait for this episode to be over. And thank God it gets better than this. And... They, the writers just did a terrible job, an absolutely piss-poor job of making DJ in any way relatable or um, sympathetic. Sympathetic? Yeah. You know, the funny thing is the trend we've seen, we saw initially in the show was the first episode of the series, we talked about how pretty much it was just a nostalgia trip to introduce people to characters and make fans of the original show happy that they get to see everybody. And it wasn't particularly well-written or strong. The second season, we had a complete turnaround. It was very good first episode, some horse crap in the middle that you have to get through to get to the end, but ultimately satisfying. Season 3A, stronger narrative start again. A little bit slow in the middle, but picked up again. This felt like a complete reversion back to we don't know what to do here. Let's just uh, throw this against the wall and see what sticks out of it, and we'll have to fix as we go. Yeah, very, very much so. Which is weird because it was the it was the mid season premiere, so it isn't like they concluded an entire storyline 
And then they're like, well, you know, we're all out of ideas. So, you know, we'll have DJ uh, ride a motorcycle over a shark. Um, (laughs) The only thing I can think of is because the turnaround time between the first and second seasons was much more in line with a standard television series. The turnaround time for the demand between seasons two and three was a lot shorter. So I guess maybe they wanted to buy some time and break it up and take some time to refresh and get new ideas. And then when they realized how short the deadline was, it was, oh, we need to put something together quick. Uh, Here, let's do this. All right. Uh, The next episode is Troller Coaster. And we have uh, our A plot is um, Max and Jackson want to go to uh, Six Flags. They want to ride the Troller Coaster. And with everything that's happened, uh, DJ takes this as an opportunity to sort of forget her troubles, put <clears throat> the stuff with her and Steve behind her, and uh, you know, and just go have fun with her kids for a day. And of course, Steve tracks her down because um, he needs to know where they stand. You know, he's still very much like, "Hey, wait a minute, we had a moment here. I'm not going to let that. I'm not going to let that pass." Um, with all of that, you have. Uh, Max looking to Jackson for courage, and of course Jackson doesn't have any, and they end up riding the ride together, and they find their courage together. Terrific. Uh, the B plot, and this I really, really liked. Ramona gets into the San Francisco School of Performing Arts. So we, what we have is like, you know, two and a half seasons of them building up Ramona to be this really competitive dancer, and she's finally reached her goal. And she gets a little taste of what that's going to be like. And, you know, I really sympathize with the Ramona character because there's been a couple of things in my life that I've tried to do. When I realized that it would, it would have taken a single-minded dedication to the exclusion of all else for me to chance being successful at it, I thought, maybe this isn't what I want to do. And, you know, and look, credit to people who become actors and singers and wrestlers and make those kinds of sacrifices and become, you know, the Taylor Swift's and the John Cena's and, you know, and, and the Dion Sanders of the world. Uh, that's great. I'm, you know, credit to those people. Um, it's just not something I wanted to do. I wanted to have a much more diversified life. And that's the conclusion she comes to is that it isn't worth sacrificing all these other elements that make a full life to do this one thing. Uh, And so I really, the only thing I didn't like about that was the girl they have her partnered up with was acting like she was being held hostage (laughs) and that they were like, she was paranoid. There was like microphones everywhere. And I'm like, that seems a little overdone. That seems a a, a bit much. But the idea, but, but again, the idea that, you know, you you have to make a choice and that is it's all or nothing. If you want that level of success and she decides I'm more than just a dancer. So I really, really like this episode for that reason. I, I did like it. I enjoyed certain aspects of it. I like the overstatement of how kids in those programs feel. And uh, <laughs> maybe that was just me, but I, I thought they really magnified it to a good comedic level um, and, and, you know, I don't think they went overly preachy about, hey, don't put your kids through this. This is what they turn into. I think it was done just ridiculous enough to lose some of that 
twinge of maybe we shouldn't do this if our kid's in a performing arts school or is a star athlete that we're making their primary focus this or that. Um, but it was definitely a positive highlight because also, like you said, it pays off of the past two years of a lot of development with this character and a, a focus that she had. It's also a nice little nod back to the original show where Stephanie had had a, a very big talent for dance and was part of a troupe and she was being groomed into potentially being a dancer through the rest of her life. And she ultimately had to decide like, I, I, I don't want to do just this, albeit at a much younger age than what they had Ramona doing. Um, but, but it's a nice nod back to the original series. It's done differently in this as opposed to being a complete ripoff of it, which is nice too. That's the difference between ripping off and paying homage to something. And they did it well here. Um, Ramona in particular, as we pointed out, she's been a highlight. She carried her scenes very well and conveyed the conflicting emotions you're going to feel in that particular scenario. And if you're not someone who's ever been faced with that, um, you're either talentless or you're enjoying a lot of things, which is good. Uh, the enjoying part, not the talentless part. I feel bad for you if that's the case. Um, <laughs> but I, I, you know, there's a point in time where I remember when my amateur boxing career was taking a very serious turn and I was competing at a junior Olympic level. And it was at the point where it was, you can keep doing this and you can go to the gym every day and you can keep applying and be better. Or, you know, if you don't come to the gym on Friday night because you want to go see a movie with your friends, that's fine, but don't expect to be at this elite level because there's going to be somebody who's doing that when you're not, and they want it more than you do. And there were people who kind of made me understand that if I wasn't doing that, the likelihood of me being in a, at an elite level wasn't going to happen. And I did push myself for a little while, but ultimately with other things going on, it wasn't fulfilling. And I said, I need to pull back and remember what it's like to be a kid. Yeah. You know, Floyd Mayweather, who a lot of people hate, and, you know, with good reason, you know, people look at him now and pass judgment on him. And I'm not even talking about his character as such. Just the, the, by virtue of the fact that he makes so much money per fight, he, you know, he commands such a high dollar amount. People have to remember how Floyd started. Floyd lived in the gym. You know, Mike Tyson when he was plucked from obscurity and, uh, and, tra- and trained by uh, uh, Gus D'Amato, lived in the gym. The boxing was their life. It's how they became as good as they were. They dedicated their entire lives to it and you know, to one degree or another earned their million-dollar paydays when they finally got there. Um, it's part of the reason why I think once people find success, they go a little crazy because they sacrificed so much of their life to get to where they can finally enjoy it. You know, and it's kind of like the kid who has these overprotective parents and they don't let them experience things. And they go to college and they end up getting STDs and DUIs and other, ac- mm-hmm. you know, and other abbreviations and acronyms because they just lose absolute control. Uh, because they never got to a chance to experience things. Um, the last thing I'm going to mention here is the episode does conclude with Steve and DJ deciding that they want to wait a month before they jump into a relationship. Uh, and I liked that. That was the one thing I liked about their part of the episode was that, okay, 
we're not going to spend yet another six episodes of will they, won't they. It's just we're, we're taking a timeout, and we're going to do some other things. Thank freaking God. Uh, last word before we move on. Uh, agreed. It needed to wrap up the way it did. Thank God they went with that instead of retreating us back to where we started and rather rinse repeat. Fast times at Bayview High. Uh, Jackson and Ramona do their first day of school. Um, I believe this is the episode. Yeah, this is the episode where uh, Jackson is warned. uh, You know, you want to make a good first impression on the first day (laughs) because if you if you screw something up, that's what you'll be known for for four years. He slips on a piece of bologna. I loved the gag about, about him falling and the teacher running out of uh, left field to put cones around him and a neck brace. That was <laughs> if fantastic. That, if that is not a joke about modern society and, 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 what, and how uh, we treat kids like Fabergé eggs, I don't know what is. I thought that was great. And, of course, they do it again later with Ramona's nemesis, the, the, the dance kid, uh, Ramona tries out for the dance team. You know, she assumes she's a natural. She ends up showing up the dance coach and he out of spite cuts her. Um, I don't, is it this episode that, uh, that, uh, Kimmy and Max end up coming into the school, telling off the kid and the kid ends up letting her back on the team. Or is that yes. later? Yes, it is. Okay. I, I'm questioning it because it was unwatchable. <laughs> I, yeah, I that was pretty it. horrendous. <laughs> as soon as Max showed up, I got to about the part where he said, where the, the girls are all looking at him and he shrugs them off and goes, well, haters going to hate, which I actually found funny. I, I, I kind of giggled at that. Um, which, by the way, just as an aside, they really toned down Max for these episodes. Like, yeah, I know I'm talking about a they bit toned down gonna... an aspect of Max. Yeah, okay, that that's fair. Yeah, he isn't screaming at the camera as much. Um, in this group of episodes, I'm sorry, did you he's say also... <laughs> he's a, in my opinion, he's not screaming at the camera. Um, and and he isn't nearly as uh flamboyant. That, yeah, effeminate, flamboyant, as he has been. I mean, I'm not, he's not butch or anything, but I found him less grating. On the other hand, again, they, while Andrea Barber continues to be the standout performer of this entire cast, some of the stuff they have her doing is so cringeworthy, it, it, it becomes unwatchable. This was a great example of it. As soon as she showed up in that scene dressed like Max, I was like, and I'm done here. I, I can't watch this. Uh, and I just kind of fast forwarded to the part where um, it's back to the dance coach and Ramona. But the, uh, the other side of that, you have uh, this budding love story between Rocky and Jackson, where Rocky when it comes to Jackson's uh, defense. She starts a rumor that he's a great kisser. They end up kissing. And of course, now her, you know, her heart's all a flutter. Uh, you know, and Jackson's reputation is saved. The, oh, I'll stop there and I'll kind of let you respond to, uh, what did you think of this part of the episode? I like the idea of him being embarrassed as baloney boy uh, <laughs> and getting known as that. And 
well, what's the only way to figure it out and, and fight it? He has the girl he's friends with start a rumor that he's, you know, the, the makeout king of the freshman class. And, okay, now he gets put on the spot, and you're like, okay, this is going to be the best day of your life because the most popular girl in your class is telling you, go for it. And in typical Jackson fashion, he can't bring himself to do it. So we see Rocky, who is the daughter of Stephanie's delinquent friend Gia, and slowly becoming a bigger part of the show in Jackson's life, especially uh, at this point anyway, uh, step in for the save and kind of redeem him by making out with him in front of them. And they're all like, oh, okay, maybe he's not. And, she, you know, she gasses his head up a little bit and tells him, yeah, you know, okay, actually, you know, I'm, I'm not lying. You were really that good. So congratulations. And it's, it's silly, but it makes sense the way it was done. And Michael Campion, who plays Jackson, is good enough at playing very aloof to make it work. Yeah, I, I, like, I like the Rocky character. And the more they use her in this season, the happier I was. Um, because they they make her rough, but she isn't the delinquent that that DJ makes her out to be. And the in the next episode, or whatever the episode is where Jackson for five minutes goes uh, you know uh, goes screamo because I'm not calling him goth. Um, <laughs> that's not goth. Uh, but uh, the episode uh, she's totally blaming Gene. She's like, "You're a bad influence." You ever like there are parts of this show. Or I just want to throw something at the television in the hopes that it'll go through, you know, the 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 fifth dimension and hit DJ in the head. <laughs> they yeah. wipe her so bad at times; it, it becomes just pleasant to little rock at her. <laughs> um, another thing I hated about this episode: <laughs> Matt shows back up. He's been in Bora Bora, which is fine, but he acts like a hippie. And he's going to open up, like, a taco shop or something like that uh, in Bora Bora. And, like, that whole thing was stupid. I mean, and you get the idea that, and again, the idea behind it is solid. He's mad at DJ. He doesn't want to work with her. You know, he feels like she's, she's let him on for so long that he's just done with it. Okay, we got you, brother. We have your back. And then he's like, so I'm, gonna, so I'm going to abandon my family business and go open a taco shop on the beach. All right, that's stupid. You know, I would have been. I wish, and I don't know how you feel about this, but I wish they had almost made him more of a villain, in the sense that I wish he was like, I, I'm coming back, and I'm gonna buy your part of the. You know, this is my business, and I'm gonna buy your half of it, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna get rid of you because I can't work with you, and it's my business, it's my family's. I would have, or, or like even. You know, had they gone full full bore with the, hey, I'm going to open my own practice and not be with you, and, oh, by the way, I'm going to open it really close and take all your business away. Yeah, but they waited until the end of the season to do that. That's the thing. Why why not make that turn immediately? Why do you have right. to stupefy him to such a, a, a level where you can't – this is the most, arguably the most serious part of the, the show has been DJ's relationship issues with Matt and Steve. 
And now it's just complete fodder in the case of Matt for stupidity. Right. And no, no, I 100% agree with you. They waited too long for him to make that decision, and they made it way too goofy when they did. You know, it, it needed to be vengeful. It needed to be full of spite. Um, I also don't know why he walks away from his own business. You know, again, I, 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 this is like a divorce, basically. And I have seen plenty of divorces where people become petty and territorial. Generally speaking, it isn't a situation where someone just is like, you can have it all. I'm, I'm going to go do something else. And does, does that happen? Sure. But in a case where someone feels wronged, there's a need to, there's a need to take revenge and hurt the other person. So I, like, Matt's become an unbelievable character. And I don't mean unbelievable like, you know, in, in the fantastic way. I mean unbelievable like I don't believe that this is a real person. Um, and then the, the, and then they did the bit with the alligator, which again, uh, this is the trick they used earlier in the, in, in one of the seasons that's going to bring them closer together. And it's like, I don't want to see them fall back in love. I don't want to see them have feelings for each other. I want them to, if you're going to say, you know, if she leaves him practically at the altar, I want them to be. There needs to be more dramatic tension between them, not the will they, won't they. We did will they, won't they already. We've done this angle. We've already done the Ultimate Warrior versus Rick Rude. Stop doing it. It's a callback to a podcast you and I did uh, uh, last year. Was that last year or was that two years ago? I don't remember anymore. That's two years. Ugh, God, how time flies when you have cancer. Anyway. But it's still um, good. It is. Anything else about Fast Times at Bayview High? Um, you know, we sh- the the one high point of the episode, other than s- some of that stuff, we'll go back to a high point, is this is the episode where we find out after, you know, attempts at hormone therapy and everything else and her struggles that Stephanie actually has three viable eggs for fertilization. And that narrative is going to continue, which is one of the more compelling aspects of the show as a whole is that Stephanie's gone from these different stages of her life within the show from kind of aimless party hopper DJ to surrogate mom in certain aspects to the kids, finding some type of responsibility. And after spending time with her nephews, realizes what she wants is children of her own. She thought she could never have that happen, but after pushing, they look into it, get her hopes up, and she can technically conceive, but it has to be through first of all she has to do hormone therapy then she's got to find where we find out a surrogate but this is the thing that sets the wheels in motion for the fact that she can in fact get pregnant and that's a huge step for the character yeah i i thought jody sweeten overall did a great job with what they gave her this season um they that was it was a major part of the second half uh you know her deciding that she's going to have this baby and I thought the actress herself did a great job of portraying the vast array of emotions that went along with the decision-making. So, um, you know, the second place for most compelling character of the show so far is Jody Sweeten, right behind Andrea Barber. Um, a Tommy Tale is our next episode. Social commentary. Uh, this, is, <laughs> this is the bit 
where DJ is trying to get Tommy into a prestigious preschool. Um, and, you know, it was, they have, they have the uh, teacher come out to observe Tommy. And <laughs> I thought it was, I, I thought it was kind of fun the way they portrayed her, not particularly realistic, but again, the, the show doesn't have to be a documentary. The, the show can have it's over the top, silly characters. Um, I didn't. I didn't need to fast forward through any of this. <laughs> I, I actually did enjoy this episode. Uh, I don't have a whole. I don't have a whole lot to say about it. I don't know if you do, but I. I enjoyed. I enjoyed DJ being kind of put in her place. You know, there there was an aspect of this that says, "Hey, he's not as verbal as he could be. There may be some lapses, not neglect per se." but some maybe lapses in her uh, parenting of this kid. And, and that, may, that may be coming out of the fact that she you know, is a single mother of three. It may be coming out of the fact that she's been distracted by her stupid love life. But either way, you know, I'd I, I like to see a situation where she isn't perfect, you know, or there's a, there's a chink in the armor and it goes unresolved by the end of the episode. It doesn't get resolved. It's a situation that she has to deal with. And, you know, it, it, it brings her down a peg. I thought that was the best aspect of this. The stuff about Jackson and Ramona not being able to use their devices and walking around like pilgrims and, and all of that, I had, you know, it was fine, I guess. I wasn't really entertained by it one way or the other. I liked it, and I'll tell you why. Because I see so many people who can't function without some type of handheld PDA, whatever you want to call it, and I just think, how lost are these people going to be when they have a phone die or they have to actually follow street signs to get where they need to go or any of these scenarios? You know, it, I guess it's one hand, it's different if you grew up in an urban environment where you learned at an early age how to use a subway and how to do this and how to use a payphone, which hardly exists anymore, but how to problem solve without having an electronic device in your hands at all times that could tell you everything. Um, and there's, there's definitely an over-reliance on that. They counter it well by having the subplot of Max being sick and he's really excited to give this report at school, but he's not well enough to go. So they use the tablet to do a video cast FaceTime into his class so he can present his report without endangering himself, um, which I thought was pretty cool counterbalance to showing how useless teenagers are without technology. Um, so <laughs> it doesn't come off as technology is bad, get rid of it. It shows a positive counterbalance to the negatives of it. And I, and I like that as a whole. Yeah, I I actually um, like the Stephanie and Max stuff. You know, I like I like Max as a character who feels school's important and this project was important to him, and he is putting himself at risk by trying to go to school and do that. And you know, and there's, there's some fun to be had with him trying to get out of the house in the, in the midst of this important uh, observation that DJ and Tommy are having. Um. That's about it here. Anything else? 
Um, that's, that's kind of it. Uh, the, the Tommy stuff I thought you covered well where, and, and again, I like the fact that it's not typical sitcom fair where it's wrapped up neatly in half an hour. It's a problem. They're going to have to address it as time goes on. It can't just be solved in that type of environment. It, it's, it's, it's an issue that needs to be concerned about and taken care of over time. Uh, next one is Surrogate City. Um, this is the one where uh, Jackson comes down the stairs and his hair is colored and he's wearing all black. <laughs> and <laughs> you have DJ who immediately point. At one point, she refers to Jackson as angelic, and that you know, and that Rocky is a terrible influence. And, and that's about where I wanted to start throwing things at the television. Um, <laughs> I believe it's later on. Uh, I, I I feel like it's later on in this episode uh, where he refers to her. Is it this one where he refers to her as his girlfriend? And she's like, we're not boyfriend and girlfriend. Um, and, and it's not that I don't like you. It's just that I don't like labels. Or is that later? No, this is later. Okay. It's this one where, okay, this is the one where uh, by the end of the episode. Oh, okay. They spend most of this episode with Jackson just being defiant to DJ and he moves all of his shit in the backyard and it starts to rain and, you know, and he comes to realize <laughs> that he's not, you know, this tough exterior uh, rebel that he thinks Rocky wants him to be. Uh, and then eventually he, you know, he comes out of the rain and goes inside and has cookies and he, t- and he stands up to Rocky and he says, look, you know, I like you. I think you like me, but like me for me, not like me for what you're trying to turn me into. And Rocky, Rocky agrees with him. Rocky was like, you know what? I like the fact that you have a backbone. I like the fact that you're standing up to me, uh, regardless of how you dress and, you know, and how you treat your mother. Perfectly lovely episode. Enjoyed all of that. Really, um, you know, like I said, the, the Andrea Barber stuff is always good. The stuff with uh, Stephanie and um, trying to have a baby was really great. I really <clears throat> also enjoyed all of the, the Jackson Rocky stuff. The girl playing Rocky is great. Uh, she's, she's fantastic. And I really enjoy the chemistry between the two kids. The, there's necessary interplay between them because we, you know, the past two years we've seen Jackson. We haven't really seen a ton of development with his, his social uh, characterization, so to speak, until he gets to summer school and meets Rocky and the fat redheaded kid with a crush on DJ whose name I don't remember. Um, and, and you can't really have him develop alongside that type of character. He, he's almost, that kid is almost like the boner to his Mike Seaver, to, to use a sitcom reference. Mike never really showed any growth or development when he was hanging out with Boner, shockingly. Um, based on that character's name alone. But when Mike started getting involved with female characters, it gave him a chance to become a little bit more mature and a little bit more defined in some of his stances, uh, which happened with uh, the nanny that they had in the house, and then later on to Kate, who he married in the show, and so on and so on. And this is the first steps we see of evolving Jackson as more than the the dorky older brother. This is him becoming his own character and having different aspects to his personality than what we saw with him dealing with, say, Ramona, who he just crushed on really hard, who had really nothing more than a passing interest in him. 
Uh, interestingly enough, this episode, Surrogate City, was directed by Dave Coulier. It's good to know that besides doing cameos in this show, that he's getting some steady work. Good for him. Uh, our next, um, it's just worth mentioning that this is the, also the episode where Kimmy finds out she's part French and Fernando finds out that he's part Jewish and they immediately go insane and start doing all kinds of oh, French okay. stereo I, and Jewish stereotypes. Can I pick, can I pick a bone here with this, please? Okay. I, I giggled despite myself and I, and that's, and I, yes, you can pick a bone, but let me say this. There was stuff all season long in this show where I, I would consider myself to be a fairly bright individual, and I complain a lot about you know about American comedy, but I'll be damned if I didn't giggle at a lot of this. Go ahead. Okay, it it has nothing to do with that. I actually think them overplaying the stereotypes is really funny. However, Jewish is not a nationality where you can say your grandmother was one quarter Jewish and thus has passed it on to you. And you're now one sixteenth Jewish. Jewish is a religion. You, you know, you don't hear people say, Oh, well, I'm one quarter Catholic or, you know, yeah, I have an eighth of Presbyterian in me. It, it, it doesn't happen. Okay. I, I got to correct you. Jews, Jews are not only a religion. They are also a race. Now we know them as the Israelis. Okay, but that's Israelis. Yeah. Okay, we know them as the Israelis now, but in times of antiquity, the Jews were an actual race of people. It's the but one. You can't say that because <laughs> it is not so shockingly enough. Not every Israelite is a Jew, and that is correct. Shockingly, not every Jew is an Israelite. No, I, I, and I'm not debating that. I'm telling you that the rise of Judaism, I, I, I'm, I'm going to trip all over this. Uh, I'm not an expert in any of this stuff, but what I have read and the experts I have talked to, and I'm going to try to say this as simply as I can, it's the one instance where this particular religion is also a race of people. You're absolutely right in saying you, you can't be a race of Catholics. That's a religion. That's actually a subset of the Christian religion. You can't be a race of Muslims. Muslim, uh, Islam is a religion. Uh, the Jews are not just a religion. That's an actual race of people. Now, in 2017, you can make the argument that not anymore. It's not. It's it's been incredibly diluted to the you know to the point where it's almost a nonsense statement. There's an argument there, but not not in the days of antiquity. Not not going back thousands of years. Yeah, if we were going back four thousand years, I wouldn't have a problem with it. But <laughs> we're in 2018 now. No. Fair enough. How old is how possibly old is Fernando's grandmother? What was she born in 1956? Come on. Okay. Okay. And that's why I'm 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 not arguing that the your point is sound that he would not all of a sudden have the, those genetic behaviors that silly and then and that's that's the show writers doing kind of funny but lazy writing. 
but your your statement that the Jews are not a race of people, it's just not factually, it, it's not historically correct. It is now. <laughs> okay. I, I, we're move, moving on. Uh, all right. The next one, Soul Sisters, as we race towards the end of this season. Uh, this is the bit where uh, Kimmy is going to be the surrogate to Stephanie, and they decide that they're going to have a bonding day together. And I really, really enjoyed this. Uh, I liked, as I said early in the uh, earlier, I liked the fact that they decided to make uh, a relationship between Kimmy and Stephanie independent of DJ. And I thought that there was a lot of fun chemistry between the two characters. So that, that whole bit was entertaining through this. The stuff where uh, Max and Jackson break the Mariner and are trying to glue it back together. And the only thing I thought was funny about that was the bit where Max is resting his head. You know, uh, so, so as to not draw suspicion, Max is, is resting his head on the neck of the thing. You know, they, yeah. they do some very they do some very slapsticky comedy with that, and it actually worked for me. I, I thought it uh, I thought it sung. Um, this is more of Fernando, and this is more of the like we have nothing for Fernando to do, so we'll do some stuff with him and Tommy as an odd couple. Um, that was pretty amusing. Uh, I believe this is also the bit where uh, the 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 Asian kid's father. And the redheaded kid, the fat redheaded kid, keeps showing up at the house trying to date DJ. Yeah, that yeah, that's this episode because it ends with them in the hot tub, and she throws them out, and Steve comes over. Then he ends up kissing DJ, and then Matt walks in and then announces he's going to start his own pet clinic. We we talked about that earlier. I, again, this needed to have happened earlier, and it needed to have happened. Uh, it needed to have been more angrier, more negative. For, to have worked. It doesn't really work the way it's done here. No, it's so it's so diluted that it happens at this point because so much else has gone on since that it loses all all meaning really that you wanted it to have. It's uh, take a drink everyone wrestling reference. It's like when a crowd is super hot for a particular act or performer and you fail to pull the trigger on it when it's the right time, fail to pull the trigger, and then you do it like a year and a half after that person has reached their zenith of, of popularity and has cooled off, and it doesn't have the effect you want it to, and of course, you know, that person would then get blamed as opposed to not pulling the trigger at the right time, but that's another story. Yeah, see... I'm looking at you, Rob Van Dam. I was going to say, see James Storm and uh, Bobby Roode in TNA where everyone was waiting for James Storm to win the title off of Bobby Roode. And swerve, bro, they decided to not do it because everyone was expecting it. It's a stupid thing, and I don't, and it's a wonder that... And, 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 that, and that's probably a, 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 you know, a portion of the writing intent here is that, well, you know what, everybody thinks this is coming. Let's put it off so that, to show them they're not right. And it's the stupidest mentality because people are fine with something being predictable if it's done right. Yeah. When, people, you, when, you, when you're implausibly unpredictable, 
for the sake of being implausibly unpredictable, that's stupid, and there's no payoff for anybody. Right. Yeah, not, you know, it's okay to have a happy ending. You know, and I don't mean that in the sexual sense. Um, it's okay to give people what they want. People, people who gravitate towards fictional stories because you know they want they want the comfort of the story being told. And sure, the expectation is that the good guys win, the bad guys lose, the guy gets the girl. People live happily ever after. There's a warmth and comfort in that. And it, you know, if you want to go an opposite way on occasion to tell a more compelling story or to tell a shocking story, sure, that can work from time to time. To do it just to do it. Just because, well, we don't want to give people, we don't want to give people that warmth and comfort they've come for. <sighs> I don't want to get off on a tangent, but it, but take a drink, everyone. Um, I always find that when Vince McMahon says we exist to give the audience what they want, to be the biggest load of horseshit to come out of that man's mouth, <laughs> because so many times. People have pitched stuff. I mean, if Bruce Pritchard is even close to being uh, <laughs> truthful on his podcast, even remotely close, they have pitched Vince on things the crowd largely wanted and were clamoring for, and Vince didn't do it because he didn't feel it. And after, you know, or you have a Paul Heyman guy who's pitching something because he has the he he has the temperature of the crowd he knows what they want but because he's pitched it one too many times another volley if i may and vince goes nope fuck you just just because he's vince mcmahon and he doesn't like things being over pitched that's that's one last volley if i may sir (laughs) exactly um and so to, to, to round back to Fuller House, if the writers are thinking, you know, let's swerve them, bro. <laughs> let's do the unexpected, that you have to have a better reason than, well, just, just because, or because it entertains us. There's a value, an inherent value in giving, you know, as Natalie Merchant said, giving them what they want. Uh, let's move on to... <laughs> This might be my favorite episode, actually, because it's, it's almost cringeworthy, but it really turns, and at the end, it turns so good. I, I, really, uh, I really enjoyed this. This is Happily Ever After, and the major thrust of this episode is Ramona is sort of expanding her horizons. She's doing something besides dance. She's planning a homecoming uh, event, and it goes, you know, and it's as cookie cutter as cookie cutter can be. And so people kind of turn on it. Her arch nemesis, uh, Chad, Chad Brad, uh, decides that he's going to hijack the party and, you know, and throw a, um, a rager at his house while his parents are away, like you do. Uh, And so she, and so, and so on the other side of this, uh, you've got Stephanie, DJ and Kimmy dressed up as fairy godmothers for a kid's party that uh, Kimmy was hired to throw. (laughs) <laughs> and they do a, they do a funny little Cinderella bit with Ramona, and they end up uh, saving saving the dance, bringing all the kids back from Chad's house, and uh, performing uh, as their band. And Gia shows up 
in what appears to be a cross between the evil queen from Snow White and a fairy godmother for some odd reason. Um, but I'll tell you what, not a bad outfit on her. And, uh, you know, Steve shows up and, you know, kisses DJ and all of that. But uh, I like this episode. I thought this was a lot of fun. And I, and I dug the costumes. I thought, I thought those were pretty funny looking. You know, it was one of those things where you wanted to figure out how they're going to tie this together because you knew they were. And once they found, you know, the whole plot device of them dressing as fairy godmothers is because the little girl who's throwing a party is a huge client for Kimmy and requested that the three of them actually be the fairy godmothers at the party. So they did it to appease Kimmy. Uh, Ramona, who's in charge of the homecoming dance and has a terrible experience doing it, uh, is bailed out by timely intervention of fairy godmothers, which is kind of a, it's an interesting narrative. I, I get the symbolism of it. I wasn't totally a fan. I like that they brought back Gia because if Rocky's going to be a character and Gia did have such a central role in the life of at least one of our main characters prior, it makes sense to have her show up more. In this case, it's awfully convenient considering they needed a bass player. Um, but it's, it's a step in a, a, the right direction to expand things and give you more freedom to work with on the narratives that you're trying to put forth, especially with regards to less so Stephanie now, more DJ, and the development of Rocky and Jackson's potential relationship from where it is and where it could be going. Um, and, and at this point, the interplay between DJ and Gia provided it's followed up on is going to get probably very interesting as we go forth because their kids are now getting close. And even if they aren't, you know, labeled as boyfriend, girlfriend, they're obviously extremely good friends at this point. And DJ has that eating her up inside because she could never stand Gia and sees a lot of Gia in Rocky fair or unfair. You decide. Um, and at the same point, Gia is as usual ambivalent towards DJ and doesn't really care one way or another and doesn't harbor any bad feelings towards Jackson. And maybe that's out of just the lack of caring because she constantly talks about how her hookup passed out and that's why she's here. Can I, is it, is it okay if I say I'm a fan of Gia? I think she's hilarious. She, she very much reminds me of some of the nurses I work with, you know, in terms of talking about these dating stories. And I know she's somewhat portrayed as a neglectful mother, but, but Rocky doesn't come across as neglected uh, as such. And I, I, I mean, I've seen actual neglect. That's not bad. <laughs> you know? did, did, Mark, were you a fan of, or did you at least watch it all the TV show 21 Jump Street? Love 21 Jump Street. Okay, G is Booker, and DJ's Hanson. <laughs> okay, fair enough. You know, not necessarily doing anything wrong, just has her own swagger about her, her own way of doing things, and because it's not DJ's way of doing things, it rubs DJ the wrong way. Same thing Booker did to Hanson, and that's why I liked Booker so much. Indeed. All right. This is the last good episode of this season. <laughs> <laughs> because this show takes a fucking dive off a cliff these next two episodes. God damn. 
and, and I'm and I'm making a point of bringing that up because where this ends, this, this I mean, this might as well have been a two-part episode. Uh, your foes in a fog, which is basically this shitty episode where Steve and DJ finally get their first date, but nothing goes right. Everybody's in town for the quote-unquote dad anniversary. Which the only funny part about this is Bob Saget walking and going, "I already lived here. I didn't have a goofy entrance." Which I I laughed <laughs> in, in spite of myself. I, I laughed hard at that. Um, <laughs> but I they uh, oh everyone's having a rough day of it. Uh, Danny and um, uh, Lori lose their jobs after asking for too 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 much of a raise. Uh, Jesse may have to get a job himself. Uh, I think Joey's thing is that he's stuck at home with the kids because the wife went on a cruise ship or something like that. Um, and and then uh, uh, Stephanie's afraid that Kimmy's not going to get pregnant because she had a bad dream and she and she foresaw all the other shitty things that are happening. Uh, there's a there's a fog that rivals the London fog apparently, and so it's you know, too dangerous to go out. So all of the above characters uh, put on a date for Steve and DJ at home, which I was like, oh, this is gay. You know, like, they, I know the writers were going for cutesy, but it just comes off as, well, we have him in town. We need something for these actors to do. So this is what we're going to do. Um, you know, the, I, the only other thing I thought was remotely funny about this was the play date that uh, turns into a silly dance party between Fernando <laughs> and Joey. Um, but uh, I'm just going to go ahead and, and bring up Here Comes the Sun. So this all goes into the, the next episode where, oh, and then the other thing that happens is Steve gets an offer to work for the Lakers, which is going to take him out of town and further disrupt the relationship between him and DJ. And I'm like, good, go. <laughs> you know, this needed to end with, this would have been perfect had they not done the next episode. If it had actually ended with Steve, with Steve, with everything has gone to shit, and it's a mystery to whether, you know, or maybe the only good thing that happens is that Kimmy's pregnant, and they didn't wait another episode to do that. But I, I would have almost enjoyed a season finale that everything ends in ruin. <laughs> you know, we don't know if she's pregnant. Steve left to go to the, Steve actively left to go to the Lakers, um, and DJ has no man now. Um, and all these other bad things happen, and we just did like, okay, well, we'll guess we'll ha- we'll see what happens in season four, which would be much more satisfying than what they actually did, which is basically one episode later, everything writes itself, except for one thing. So everyone's moving back home, right? Everyone's moving back to San Francisco, and everyone has a gig. You know, Jesse and Joey rebought their club, which is where they have the party at. Um, Kimmy's pregnant. Everything is coming up Millhouse, and then Bob Saget, Danny says, and I'm gonna move back into the house. And I'm like, what is this show becoming? Are are we? Have we decided that Fuller House, the concept, wasn't good enough? We need to do. We we need to do the entire expanded cast of Full House now. I hate that. I'm worried that what the you know, the whole concept of the show got tossed out the window because the writers ran out of ideas and instead went with the hey throwback to Long Road to Ruin more 
dinosaurs. We more dinosaurs, ladies and gentlemen. We don't have any ideas. So more Danny, more Joey. What the fuck, dude? I'm mad about this now. You're a witness. Yeah, I can't defend a lot of that, unfortunately. <laughs> so, I um. There's there's a little uh, a little bit of uh, fun to be had here in these last two episodes. Uh, the Lonzo Ball cameo when Steve is being wooed by the Lakers is pretty funny. Um, at least if you're a sports fan. If you're not a sports fan, Lonzo Ball is a very highly touted prospect who's playing right now in the NBA and having a tremendous season and was very newsworthy for not just his abilities but the antics of his father, LeBar. Um, but it is a cool little cameo to see him in there. Um, Stephanie all of a sudden being precognitive is a little bit stupid, as there's been no hint to this at all. Literally, literally, this is just something that's pulled out of thin air and made no sense. Uh, the, 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 the circumstances behind everything happening, okay. It's not uncommon for you know, people in the entertainment industry to ask for a raise and then get axed. Um, I like the wink, wink, nod, nod to being replaced by Mario Lopez. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty funny considering he's the host of extra and has done things like this in the past. So that's enjoyable. Um, The Joey thing is a convenient way to not have to continue to have a woman pretend they're interested in Dave Coulier. (laughs) (laughs) Because I, I don't know that any woman would be able to take that. Um, and we get the, the almost heartbreaking news that Kimmy thinks she might not be pregnant because she hasn't gone through any of the normal pregnancy symptoms that she's felt with her own kids. So, you know, we get certain out-of-nowhere resolutions. Becky gets a job on basically like a, a fictional version of The View or The Talk or The Real, whatever, any talk show that has a bunch of women producing estrogen and talking about the issues of the issues, she gets that job. Uh, Jesse and Joey get the Smash Club again, uh, and Danny's moving back in. The one thing I liked uh, in terms of Danny's character is a lot of, even though our older characters have been brought back full circle in some way, except for him. We had him going through a midlife crisis. We saw that he had gotten remarried and divorced. And in the end of this episode, we get a wink, wink, nod, nod to the original show where Gail Edwards randomly shows up as her character, Vicki Larson, who Danny nearly married in the original show. And they only broke up because she accepted a job anchoring the national news in New York. And he wasn't willing to uproot his family there to be with her. And it's one of those things where, okay, well, everything sucks, but... We get that, and you're kind of uneven about how the show ends, and you don't know that you want to pick it up again. And then we get the Kimmy telling Stephanie, it's official, I'm pregnant. And you're like, okay, this is something I can keep up with and follow because I've been invested in this. They've handled it well. And now that we've got this, I want to see this character evolve further. I want to see this relationship between her and Kimmy evolve further because they've been the two, two strong points of the show more than anything else. Uh, along with Ramona, and I'm curious if they can utilize the older characters 
in a way beyond nostalgia support, which is really all we've seen from them, unfortunately. And I think there's potential to use them stronger without uh, oversaturating us with them. Yeah, look, I mean, one of the big uh, attractions of the show is seeing the relationships between your three main gals, your, your three major characters, and if you start inserting Danny into that, you know, more than just a cameo, or Joey, or uh, you know, or any, or any of the other characters, you you break up that central relationship. Now this is just Full House, the retirement years, and that's not a show I really want to watch. So um, I'm a little. With everyone moving back to San Francisco, I, I was reading an article. Let me see what you think about this. I was reading an article where they talked about uh, how they ended the show, and they said one of the reasons why they had everyone move back to San Francisco was like they had to keep coming up with every time one of those characters showed up, they had to have a bag with them because they had to come up with a reason why they were in town. And they're like, well, this is, it'll be much easier if we just have them move back to San Francisco and they can just show up as we need them, we're not going to rest too much on them, but they're there. If we want to insert them into a story. Okay. That I can handle. That made logical sense where they lost me is Danny moving back into the house. So that's troublesome for me. That, that, that just, that's too much of a disruption. I don't know if I like that. I, and, and just as a, you know, just sort of sympathizing with the characters. His suggestion that that DJ and Stephanie share a room, you know, and bunk together. I was like, all right, no human being would tolerate this. <laughs> you know? there, there, there has to come a point where someone's going to move out of that house because, like, all right, I don't really need to be here anymore. I mean, the whole point of Stephanie and Kimmy moving into the house was to help DJ, uh, help, you know, to help DJ. Uh, mind her children in the absence of their father. You, ha- you, you move Bob Saget back into the house. Why does Stephanie even need to live there? Like, you know, Kimmy's there because she's, you know, she, she wants to be up DJ's ass all the time. We got that. But, I, I, you know, if you're Stephanie, it's not believable she would stay any longer. So, you know, she, I, I got to, you know, I mean, granted, she's got the whole thing with the kid now, and, but, that is, but that doesn't mean she has to live in the house. I don't know. I'd be overthinking this, but I'm uh, I'm a little shaky going into season four here. I'll have to see how it plays out. I'm hoping with a long break, the writers get recharged and come up with some fresh ideas. Please, for the love of God, don't leave Bob Saget in the house. No, I wouldn't be surprised if the entirety of the first episode of the fourth season is them convincing Bob to move into his own place. And by the end, he gets an apartment or something. Well, I sure as hell hope so. You know, or they hook him up with, uh, what was her name, Vicky? Um, you know, maybe, yeah. Maybe he takes that opportunity. I mean, one episode of DJ and Stephanie having to share a room for comedy's sake, I can probably handle. If it's the whole season, I'm going to plot. I, like, uh, I don't think Gail Edwards is doing a tremendous amount these days, not to slight her. Um, <laughs> I don't think she's doing... 
I don't think she necessarily needs to. She had a lot of years on successful shows. So, you know, syndication money being what it is. Um, but I don't think it's out of the ordinary that we could see her popping up every so often with Bob Saget. Um, and again, we probably don't have a hard time seeing the first episode kind of tie that thing up and move Bob out into his own place rather than this being an ongoing problem. Um, and maybe if they wrote it as an ongoing problem through maybe like a three episode arc, I could live with that and it might work. But at the same time, it's going to really throw off the dimensions and the relationships that we've come to expect and we enjoy from the characters that we've established in this show. And again, you have to be, be reminded that not everybody who watches Fuller House watched Full House. You know, there's a whole generation of people who never watched that show, but are watching this show. And so they're not going to have certain familiarities with the older established characters like Danny, Jesse, Joey, et cetera, other than what they've seen in this show. So that might be asking a lot to stretch that out over three episodes, as opposed to just wrapping it up neatly in a package with one and then going on about the characters the characters that we care about in this series. All right. Speaking of wrapping things up, I think we have said all that needs to be said about season three, part two. We've spent almost an hour and a half on it. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and give you the last word in totem, Pat. Um, Any burning desires, summations, uh, fairly wells, the floor is yours. When this show is good and it's, firing on all cylinders it's really good you can talk about the lack of quality in american sitcoms the last 10 years and i fully agree with you but this is a show that is capable of a lot when it's on its game and asking a show to have every episode be great is a very very difficult premise that said, if in this show I get six out of nine episodes being very good, I think that's overall a good product. And this show, at least to me, has been a consistently good product. The only problem is when it's not at its very best and it gives you a subpar episode, it really, really stinks. And that's something that they're going to have to improve on where, no, they can't all be winners, which is a lesson I was told when, when going through candy on a Halloween, I got a candy corn, which I despise. And if you like candy corn, you don't justify existence, but you know, it's not going to be a home run every time you're at bat. Sometimes you're going to strike out, but make the at bat count, make the pitcher work for the strikeout don't just go up there and whiff on the first three things that's thrown at you. That's the problem with this show in times when it just stops trying and throws gag after gag after gag at you thinking it'll distract you from realizing that this 27 minutes of the show is complete nonsense and throw it away. I don't need it. If it can get that stronger narrative episode to episode flow where even if you piggyback off the coattails of the last episode or a past season's episode to just get a filler episode out, that's fine. But 
don't turn episodes into filler house. Yeah. Uh, I think that's, that's very well said. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing when uh, season four comes out. I wouldn't mind if it doesn't come out until the third or fourth quarter. Let's, let's give it a good six to nine months of production before we, we get back into this again. I, I could use a break. And I think the whole show needs a break. A nice, you know, they don't do more than one episode, one season of like Orange is the New Black. And it's a show that I love, but by the end of it, I'm good for a year. <laughs> like, you know, only, it was only the, the, the uh, two seasons ago, you know, where it ends with the girl holding the gun on the guard, where I was like, oh, Jesus, I want to see what happens next. Uh, so I was hungry for, you know, to see the, the resolution of that particular scene. But other than that, like when, when Orange is the New Black ends, I'm like, all right, I'm good for a year. <laughs> we'll see you next year, Orange is the New Black. It's kind of how I feel now. Fuller House. See you sometime late 2018. Uh, how can I miss you if you won't go away? All right. <laughs> uh, with that said, uh, let's go ahead and do some plugs. Uh, next week, we kick it into high gear uh, with another year of Rattledge and Broadcasting Network podcasts. We start the week off with Source Material 300 by Frank Miller. Uh, the next night, On Trial, the movie 300 from Zack Snyder. And Rob Cooper picked a nice little album for us on the Metal Hammer of Doom. It's Watain, Trident Wolf Eclipse. The following week, we're going to uh, celebrate the debut of the CW show Black Lightning by looking back at the old 70s comic, Black Lightning, Volume 1. Starring Chris Williams. Woo! Uh, the next and night, I'm not kidding. I actually love Cress Williams. I think he's a terrific actor. I'm really happy he's getting the shot here. Good. Uh, the next night, by that point, the Runaways will have wrapped up on Hulu, uh, its first run of episodes. So we're going to go ahead and do a TV party tonight talking about uh, Marvel's Hulu first Hulu exclusive series, Runaways, a show in which nobody ran away. <clears throat> Um, on the Metal Hammer of Doom, we're going to look at the new Corrosion of Conformity. The week after that, January 22nd, 23rd, and 24th, we've got the entire Tom King run of The Vision on source material. We're going to do TV party tonight for Seth MacFarlane's The Orville, season one, which was, my, which was my favorite show of the fall season. Uh, that and Legends of Tomorrow. Outstanding television, in my opinion, despite Pat Chagrin. Um, or much to Pat Chagrin, rather. Uh, on Metal Hammer of Doom, we're going to do Avatar, Avatar Country. And then finally, the last week of January, uh, Jesse's going to, we're going to kick source material out of his usual Monday spot, but I'm still going to talk to Jesse because why not, uh, ladies and gentlemen? Why the fuck not? We're going to do Black Mirror Season 4. Um, people have loved it. There's been a lot of talk about it on the interwebs. We're finally going to get around to it. Black Mirror Season 4, TV Party Tonight, Monday, January 29th. Uh, we got Sean's first pick of the year for On Trial. It's The Godfather, Part 3. Available coming soon on Netflix. Which is part of the reason why he chose it. So, we're going to... I've actually never seen it. I've seen the first two Godfathers. I've never seen The Godfather 3 because the guy who said uh, I should see The Godfather Part 1 and 2 said The Godfather 3 wasn't worth my time. So this will be an interesting experience for me. 
And then we wrap up January on the Metal Hammer of Doom with Catasis by Machine Head. Let freedom ring with a shotgun blast, ladies and gentlemen. Let freedom ring with a shotgun blast. Pat, we've got loaded shows uh, just the whole month of February, March, um, you know, going into uh, April. I'm definitely going to have you back on for our WrestleMania review for, uh, on TV party tonight, April 10th. But uh, anything, t- anything coming up in the near future, tickle your fancy, something that you want to talk about, uh, you let me know. We'll get it scheduled, okay? Fantastic. And while we're plugging, I'll also plug that just recently on a Christmas, Christmas-themed edition of Source Material, you can hear myself, Gavin Napier, and Jesse Starcher talking about some Christmas-themed issues that DC Comics has published throughout the years. In addition to talking about some uh, comic book-themed Christmas mornings for the three of us and some particularly memorable gifts in good ways and bad ways, uh, it's a fun little nostalgia trip with some interesting storytelling that we go through to boot. So you can go on to the Rattlekin Broadcasting Network page or the Source Material Facebook page and find that episode. I have not been on the 411 Ground and Pound radio recently, unfortunately, due to some scheduling conflicts. There will not be an episode this Sunday as there is a fight card happening. However, I will be providing commentary with a blanket on and the lights out because Patreon Vant is fighting. So you guys all know where that's going. Um, thank you for an amazing 2017. I hope we kicked your 2018 off with a bang. We love this show. At least we mean this show that we're recording, not Fuller House, though I do have a soft spot for it. Uh, <laughs> But, but all in all seriousness, thank you for continuing to listen to us. Uh, I hope to have more for you this year, uh, particularly with Mark, uh, as I enjoy working with him a great deal. And thanks for listening. All right, folks, be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs>